The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Publishing Today Radio, where aspiring authors, thought leaders, business owners, and others with a story to tell discover resources, helpful tips, and sage advice. Join Athena Dean Holtz, publishing industry expert, author, speaker, and independent publishing pioneer as she brings to the forefront experts who provide the information you need to succeed. And now, here's Athena. Well, welcome to Publishing Today from a sunny Seattle day, and I am happy to be here with you. Our topic for today's show is the power of a blue ribbon how to win a writer's contest. Did you know that annually there are more than 550 significant writer's contests in America offering a variety of prizes that include such things as plaques and certificates, publication in national magazines, cash payments, college scholarships, tuition to writer's conferences, and even book contracts. Our guest today will explain how to discover and enter writing contests, how to give yourself the best advantage for winning a contest, and also ways to benefit from contests even if you don't take first prize. I am so excited to have Doc Hensley back on the show with me today. And before I bring him on, let me tell you a little bit about him. In fact, as I'm doing this, call or text a friend, have them tune in on voiceamerica.com. Once they're at the site, all they have to do is type in Publishing Today into the search bar, and they'll be able to listen live. So here's what we're going to do today. The whole time, I only have one guest today, and it's Dr. Dennis Hensley, whom most of us who know him affectionately call Doc. Dr. Dennis Hensley is the only person who has ever served simultaneously as a judge for all four of the major Christian Christian writing competitions. For the past 15 years, he has served annually as a judge for the Christie Fiction Awards, the Evangelical Press Association Awards, the Christian Book Awards, and the Jerry B. Jenkins First Novel Competition. Additionally, Dr. Hensley also serves as a regional judge for the Manny Awards from the Midwest Writers Workshop in Indiana and the Right to Publish Alumni Award in Illinois. In his career, Doc has published 54 books, including six novels and eight textbooks, as well as more than 150 short stories and 3,500 newspaper and magazine articles. He is also the chairman of the Department of Professional Writing at Taylor University, where the students he teaches have a long track record of winning a wide variety of writing contests. One key example recently was Chandler Birch, who in 2014 was a senior in Doc's program. Chandler took first prize in the National College Novel Writing Contest, sponsored by Simon & Schuster. Chandler competed against more than 2,000 other college writers, and as first prize winner, he received a cash advance of $3,000 and an all-expenses-paid trip to New York City 
and a contract to have his novel published in 2016 by Simon & Schuster. So this is going to be a great show with lots of useful information from my guest. And just so you know what to expect, during the last five minutes of the show, we'll have a segment called Ask Athena, where I'll be answering your questions on writing, publishing, book marketing, branding, and promotion. So if you have a question you'd like me to answer, send me an email at question at askathena.com and I'll get it into the lineup for a future show. So before I bring my guest into the conversation, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Publishing Today. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we're broadcasting on voiceamerica.com, the world leader in online media broadcasting and the largest producer and distributor of live internet-based talk radio. You can connect with me on the web at publishingtodayradio.com, Facebook at Publishing Today Radio. My Twitter handle is Athena underscore on the air. And if you're listening live on the Voice America Variety Channel online at voiceamerica.com, welcome to the show today. I'd also like to suggest downloading the Voice America app onto your smartphone so you can listen live on the go. All right, so let's get this show on the road. Doc Hensley, welcome back to Publishing Today. Welcome to you, too, to being alone with me. I always enjoy talking shop with you. It's a fun time, Athena. Yes, and it's great. You were just on a little bit ago uh, when we were at Right to Publish, and I am so thankful that you came up with this idea to talk about this topic of uh, contests because I just don't know enough about them, and I love having experts on the show who can really equip us and empower us, and I feel like that's what you're going to do today. So why are you such a strong advocate of entering writing contests? I have a lot of reasons for that, but the number one thing that pushes me to encourage people to do that is the word closure. Too many people talk about being a writer. They're going to write a short story. They're going to write an article. They're going to write a feature. Or they're going to write a book. But they never get around to actually finishing it. Whereas a contest says this is the deadline, and if you don't submit on time, you're not going to be able to compete. So I find that when people are given that deadline, they think, well, i just got to do something, and they'll push And if it's not even the best thing they can do, they find that they get it completed, then they can edit and work on it, and they do hit that deadline. So for no other reason than that, I would just be so excited that people finally get something done and they do send it off. But there are a lot of other reasons why you want to do it. For example, when people do win and they don't even have to finish in first place, they can maybe take honorable mention or second place, many publications will say the first three top winners will get published in our periodical. Well, that gives the new writer exposure, encouragement. It also is something you can add to your resume that I won this particular contest, and later if you're applying for a grant or a scholarship or a promotion or anything like that, that really counts in your favor to say that you were taking one of the top places like that. And also if you ever go to a publisher and say, you know, I would like to do something bigger. I'd like to do a novel, perhaps. And they'll say, well, you know, do you have any publishing experience? To say that I took first prize in such and such a contest really does impress them. Oh, yeah, you were competing and you stood out there. You're a new writer getting visibility. And, of course, there are the benefits that come with it. Many times there are cash prizes. There are awards. There are certificates. Sometimes there are award ceremonies, uh, all kinds of things that can go with it. But I think that the idea of winning a contest, no matter what it is, 
big national thing or something local does inspire the writer to realize, hey, somebody judged my material. I do have what it takes. And it's that inspiration of just seeing your name in print and being judged as a good writer that spurs people to go on. So I tell my students all the time, I want you to enter a contest. I want you to strive to do that, hit that deadline, and get in there. And many times they're just elated to find out that they did very, very well. I love that. And especially your first point of really what I would say is accountability and I mean, they have to, there's a deadline, they have to finish it, they have to, I mean, sometimes writers just can't let go. Either they can't get started or they can't let go and can't finish. So I love that idea of closure and really being accountable when you have that deadline. And uh, It is. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Okay, so what sources are available for writers to find out what writing contests are open to them and what the requirements are for entering those contests. Well, fortunately, there are a lot of resources that people can turn to, and they're not hard to find at all. There's one particular magazine called Poets and Writers. It comes out six times a year. And one of the things they specialize in each issue is to let people know what the latest and most current offerings are in contests while along a lot of literary uh, fields. They have novels, they have stage plays, they have poetry, they have short stories, and all those things are listed. So if anybody goes into the public library and just get, um, pulls down a copy of Poets and Writers, they're going to find at least 50 to 80 contests there. There's also a thing that most of your listeners are probably familiar with, the Christian Writers Market Guide, and the current issue has 12 pages that list writers' contests, both Christian and secular, and they cover every gamut, poetry, articles, even children's books, and of course novels and nonfiction books, wide range of competition there. I, I was just stunned when I just double-checked it before our program here today, 12 pages of contest listing. And then the regular secular marketplace called Writers' Market, believe it or not, has 90 pages of Whoa. contest in there because it covers everything, journalism awards, playwriting, songwriting, poetry, TV and movie scripts, novels, nonfiction books, essays, the whole thing. So altogether, there are literally more than 550 contests that people can enter in this country every single year for all kinds of prizes and awards and notoriety that goes along with it. There's an amazing thing. So those three things, I'd say Poet and Writers Magazines, the Christian Writers Marketplace, and then Writers Market. Wow. And boy, it sure, just my marketing mind, as you say that, totally goes to what great, what a great reason to get out there and talk about your writing or talk about your book or talk about your message because that just gives you a reason. I just won this award or I came in second place or so it's a great marketing tool. Well, it is indeed. In fact, Many times the benefit that's been off from it is that um, the award itself will give you some kind of thing that you can, uh, you know, get it. Like if you might go attend to a writer's conference or you might get a cash prize or something like that. But you're right. With this kind of versatility out there, there's no reason to not at least try two or three or four contests. My students are always amazed when they start looking at it and think, well, I write in that genre or, you know, I've tried something like that. And they enter and many of them will win and they're just amazed. They say, wow, I, 
with so many contests, there's no reason you shouldn't at least give it a try. Yeah, wow. Now, in case you've just joined us, you're listening to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we're broadcasting on the Voice America Network, the world leader in online media broadcasting, and the largest producer and distributor of live internet-based talk radio. So back to our topic of the power of a blue ribbon, how to win a writer's contest. I'm talking today to prolific author, chairman of the Department of Professional Writing at Taylor University, and judge for many writer's contests, Dr. Dennis Hensley, and as I affectionately call him, Doc. So, all right, here's the part I... uh, knew I was going to want to make sure we covered, and there it was right there in the middle of your questions. How can I make sure a writing contest is legitimate? Well, as with everything else in life, there are some con artists out there who will try and say, oh, yeah, send in and join our contest. And then the trick is they'll say, oh, you didn't win, but if you'll send us X number of dollars, we'll edit your manuscript and see if you can get published. So that, unfortunately, that is a situation you have to be careful of. But there are ways of checking on that. For example, there's a website that's very legitimate. It monitors all the writing contests for legitimacy. And I'll give it to you slowly here. It's www.sfwa.org backslash beware backslash contest. I'll say that one more time. www.sfwa.org backslash beware backslash contest. And it's a totally free website. It offers tips on how not to be cheated by any scam artist who's trying to get you to pay them for the awards or charge you for editing fees. And it monitors them. Fortunately, it doesn't have a whole lot of in, of listings there. I mean, there might be 10, 12, 15 every year, something that pop up there. So for the hundreds and hundreds of contests that are out there, by far, they're mostly legitimate. And those that appear in the writer's books, the writer's market books, and the Christian writer's market book, and Poet and Writer's Magazine, they've already been vetted and scanned to make sure that they are legitimate. So those contests are things you can rely on. But if something just pops up maybe in an ad or kind of go, comes up on your computer screen and you're not too sure about it, checking on that uh, SFWA website is a really good idea. Now, I seem to remember... Uh some poetry uh, contests where you'd have to pay 50 or 100 or 200 dollars and really it was just to get this little teeny weeny poem in this great big huge hardcover book that really they'd take anything they that the people that were writing and submitting for the contest were just funding and bankrolling the whole thing is that would that be one of them that you would be leery of Um, That has happened in the past, but I don't want to confuse that. There are a lot of legitimate um, um, co-op publishers that are are really legitimate. They help people find that. Those were scam situations where they were just putting together something that was a very cheap book, and they were asking people to send in anything, and they would take it, wouldn't edit it, wouldn't refuse it or anything like that. Fortunately, those have been exposed, a lot of them, in the writing magazines nationwide, and people are not as gullible as they were one time about that. But I want to make sure that people don't confuse that with legitimate co-op publishing because there are a lot of good companies out there that will work with you, will edit your material, and give you good advice on that for a fee. But, I mean, it's a worthwhile situation. So, yeah, those were scam situations, and they were exposed. But the other co-op publishing thing, there are really good companies out there. And and when you say co-op publishing, that's uh, companies that are putting on the contests 
Is that what you're saying? I just want to make sure I'm understanding that right. Well, what I mean by that is, I mean, there are companies who will help you self-publish your book, but they're not cheating you. What they're saying is that we will help you design good covers, we will help edit your material, we will help promote your material, and that's not the same thing as just send us any old thing and we'll just slap it together and put it out there. They're not the same thing. That's what I want to make sure people understand. Okay, so that's the difference between Redemption Press, where we don't just take anybody's stuff, we want to make sure it's edited properly and done right so that the finished product doesn't look self-published it's same idea uh where there's others more vanity publishers who will just take anything not edit it throw it in an ugly book and charge you a bunch of money for yeah. it so the same thing right, has, that's what I want, yeah. okay so the same thing has happened in this type of uh contest venue and it has in the past it's not and not so bad up down days because it had ex- that was more like in the 80s and early 90s and that, and they've been exposing it. People are also not so naive any longer about right. the situation. They will usually say, all right, can you give me a reference of somebody else who's worked with you, or can yes. you show me something that you published in the past? And when these people can't come up with that, they know that it's not a good situation. Exactly. Very good. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break and be right back with Doc Hensley on The Power of a Blue Ribbon. Don't go away. This is Athena Dean Holtz, and you're listening to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry on the Voice America Network, and we will be right back with you. Hi, this is Shannon Etheridge, relationship coach, speaker, and author of over 20 books, including the million-copy best-selling Every Woman's Battle series. It was over 15 years ago that I was struggling to navigate through this publishing world, and Athena Dean was one of the first people that I encountered in this industry. Now, we've stayed in touch ever since then because she was such an encourager then, and she's still an encouragement to me today. What a mover and a shaker for God's kingdom, and I have no doubt that Redemption Press is living up to its name. Has anyone ever told you you should write a book? Athena Dean Holtz here, and I've been involved in the publishing industry as an author, blogger, coach, and publisher for over 25 years. One thing I've found is everyone has a story. It just takes the right team to help get it onto paper and then into a book that has the potential to touch lives. Give us a call today. The toll-free number is 844-2-REDEEM. That's 844-273-3336. Like us on Facebook or visit our site at authorsincharge.com. We would love to walk with you through your publishing journey. All right, well, welcome back to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry, broadcasting on the Voice America Network. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we're continuing on with our show on the power of a blue ribbon, how to win a writer's contest. And I'm talking today to writer's contest judge extraordinaire, Dr. Dennis Hensley, who those of us who know him call him Doc. So, Doc, why are you personally willing to spend so much time each year reading and judging manuscripts that are submitted to national contests? Well, it is a, a time commitment. That's the, the truth of it. Because if you're a, a judge who cares about the entries, and I'm one of those, you want to look at them very carefully. You want to examine them fairly and look at that. But I find that 
As a judge, I get exposed to a wide range of topics and venues and writers. For example, I judge a different category every year for the Evangelical Press Association Awards. So one year I might be the judge for best editorials. So I get to read and analyze more than 50 very thought-provoking editorials. Another year I might be the judge for best interviews. And that year I'll get to read and analyze 50 interviews with amazingly interesting people. So reading widely like that keeps me on top of things and stimulates my own thinking as a writer and exposes me to a lot of different periodicals that I might not normally come across in my general reading. So I really, really like that. The other thing is that many times as a judge, I am able to edit and critique the manuscripts that are submitted to me in this contest. And by doing that, I feel like I'm providing helpful guidance to the writers who show potential. They still need some mentoring. They still need some more seasoning as a writer. But if I can come along and say, look, clear up some of these mechanical writing problems or your transitions were a little weak here or your format and your style was a little um, you know, lopsided as you got into the momentum of your narrative drive here, and they can improve because of that, then I feel like I've made a really good investment. And often people who do enter a contest, they might not be at the top of their game yet, but they really show potential and talent. So it's certainly not a waste of my time to do that. I think also that I say that by adding my own credentials and credibility, I provide a legitimacy for these contests. If contestants know, for example, that a judge has a PhD in English and that he himself you know, has published more than 60 books, they really feel that their manuscripts are going to be given a professional analysis by a real seasoned author and a professor. And so they consider that to be fair. And they say, all right, that's good. Even if I don't win, I'll be given a fair shake by somebody who really knows writing, really knows publishing, and really knows this business. So that's another reason like I, I like to do that. I think it's a service to people, and it adds a legitimacy to these. And that's why I'm sought out many times. Um, People will come to me and they'll say, look, we really want somebody who's a doctor of English and somebody who is also on the other side of the desk is a published writer, too, and that'll be a fair analysis. So I get a lot out of the reading. It gives me a lot of exposure to different great writers, and it allows me to give good feedback to people like that, showing them. And also it's the idea that I think that I can help people by doing some editing. So all in all, it's worth my time, I feel, every year. Wonderful. Okay. And now... I've never entered a writer's contest. I have no idea how they're run. I don't know what to expect. So when I ask this next question on what is the difference between blind judging and open judging, if you could couch the answer to that in the middle of, how does this thing work? I mean, what does it look like to enter a contest and how does it, how does it go from beginning to end and then in that, tell me a little bit about the, the judging. All right, I'll answer the second question first there. Because there are two different kinds of judges. The blind judge is the one who's given a manuscript, and you do not know who wrote it. There will be no cover page with a name on that. There will just be a number assigned to it or a code assigned to it. And, for example, there are these things called the Manny Awards, and people compete for prizes at the Midwest Writers' Workshop, and I serve as a regional judge for that. I do not know who that is. They'll come in the category, and I might say this is short fiction or long fiction or this is poetry or whatever it might be, 
and it's just totally a blind entry like that. And I judge it strictly on the merit of the manuscript by itself, and then I turn it in to the head of the conference, and that person, she will then announce, okay, that manuscript was written by so-and-so, we'll prepare a certificate and an awards check and give it to that person at the banquet night. The other one, the open judges, is you're sent something and you do know who wrote it and you're trusted that you're just going to be unbiased and you'll do it. For example, the Christie Awards, you're given published novels and they're in a category. So I often do mystery suspense, but there will also be historical novels and romance novels. And you see the name of the person on the cover and often I will know these people, but I think that they trust me enough to go in and do a very fair reading and evaluation of that and say, okay, this is what it's all about. So to answer your other question, how do you get involved with that, there are two or three ways. First of all, if you are already a published writer and there are established things out there, many times your publication or your editor or your publisher will do that for you. For example, the Christie Awards, if you're a writer of romances and your publisher wants you to compete, the publisher will submit the sample magazines, I mean, excuse me, um, novels to the public, to the contest, and they will be forwarded to who the judges are at that point. The same way with the Evangelical Press Association Awards, you enter a category. So let's say that you send in three of your magazines because you're going to compete in the best series, or you send in a magazine where you think is the best for the best cover story, and they in turn will then receive those at the Evangelical Press Association Award headquarters, and they will put them all together with whoever is competing and then submit those to whoever the judge is. So those are done for you. Other times you have to do them on your own. What you'll do is you'll look and you'll check a website or get the guidelines for writers if you mail them. And often when you find the listings, they'll tell you, this is how you contact us for further information. And they'll give a website. And then they'll say, submit it by email or submit it by hard copy. And that's up to you then to get it to them and get it by the uh, deadline date. And then they will take it at that point and they will provide it to the judge and they'll decide whether it's going to be an open or a blind judging, whatever like that. But it's up to the individual writers to get that material and they will have to go to the website. So whatever it is, they'll find that, find out what the word length is, how the submission is done, whether online, email, or whatever it's done, and then they get that in. So it's up to the writer at that point. Okay, so then, uh, again, depending on the contest, the end of it, as opposed to the beginning of it, which is all the submission and then how it's judged, the end could look like just uh, a certificate at a writer's conference or a announcement in a publication, or it could be a huge, big event that surrounds uh, and celebrates all of the winners. Is that, am I missing anything there on the back end of, of once they have their winners? Yeah, no, you're right on target with that, exactly the way that works, because what happens, let's say if it's in a regional event and they're just the awards are going to be at their banquet night, then you'll be there and you'll attend and they will present the certificates and a lot of times there'll be some kind of a cash award, whether it's $25 or $250 or whatever, and they'll take pictures of you to put in their newsletter for their conference. Other times it can be a huge event, like the Christie Awards, there'll be a big banquet and people will come from all over the country and they're competing and they'll have celebrity announcers and they'll have celebrity judges and they'll make a quite a big deal about that. There's something. The Salo Awards are even broadcast on closed-circuit television, so there are things. So it depends on you know how intense the contest is, how much it's underwritten, but yeah, they'll have an idea that you will know a termination date, and you'll know whether you won or not, and what, what prize you did win. 
great. All right. Well, in case you've just joined us, you're listening to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we're broadcasting on the Voice America Network, the world leader in online media broadcasting, and the largest producer and distributor of live internet-based talk radio. And I am talking to Doc Hensley, who is not only prolific, a professor at Taylor University, but also a judge in many writing contests. And uh, so he is the person who knows this topic inside and out. So, Doc, you have said that even if competitors don't win a prize, it's often still worth their time to enter writing contests. Why is that so? I think there are a lot of reasons. I mentioned earlier about the idea of hitting the deadline. That's good. And also, you do have a chance that you could receive a prize or publication. But here's what the other thing about it. I want to come back to the idea of feedback. That's very, very important because even if you don't win the contest, if you can get feedback from the judge, and the judge is a credible source, that's going to help you tremendously in improving your own style of writing. So let me give you a couple of examples. In the competition for the Christie Awards, each judge must rate the submission on a scale of 1 to 10 in a lot of categories, including plot concept, character development, dialogue, setting, and theme. And if the person who doesn't win gets that page back and looks at it and says, wow, you know, two or three judges here said that my narrative drive was very slow. I've got to work on that. Or my dialogue was too wooden. I've got to look at that. At least they know how to improve the next time around. It's like when you had a teacher in high school, if somebody just gave you a paperback and said C+, and there wasn't a mark on it, you didn't know, well, why didn't I get a D? Why didn't I get an A? But the teacher who gave you a B- minus or something but marked the whole thing up, you think, well, I've got a problem with spelling errors, or I've got a problem you know, with uh, documentation. At least you knew what to fix. And so a lot of times that can help. Likewise, in the, uh, the Evangelical Press Association contest, each judge has to put down a numerical store, a score related to the content, the writing style, the format, the message, and then the judge is asked to write a whole paragraph of summary comments related to how the publication could be improved. So that's tremendously helpful feedback. And a lot of regional competitions where you submit manuscripts, you get feedback from that too. So I tell people, even if you don't walk away with a prize, if you get an edited manuscript back, that's just like having a one-on-one conference, uh, consultation with a crackerjack writer who's a top-notch judge. That's going to help you a lot. So you wind up being a winner even when you're a loser. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I love that. I That never occurred to me, that uh, value in submitting to writer's contests. Because, I mean, that's like getting a manuscript critique. And, you know, we offer that to authors all the time when we look at something and go, you know, this really, this, I can tell this really needs some work, but I would recommend a manuscript critique so someone who knows what they're doing can go through the entire thing and really point out where you're weak and where you're strong and, and where, what you need to learn and what you need to change. And that just is such a huge benefit of being in a writer's contest to get that kind of a critique and that kind of feedback so that you actually, and you're getting it, well, it sounds to me like if you, well, if you do multiple contests, then you're getting lots of different judges and lots of different, you know, it's not just from one person. You're really getting a variety of feedback 
that's only going to help you improve your craft. Well, you're, you're right about that for two reasons. You're right. First of all, that, um, yes, if you enter your same piece in one or two contests and you get feedback from different judges, that's fine. But the other thing is that some contests have more than one judge. Ah. For many years with the Jerry Jenkins first novel contest, they had general judges that would weed through and, and choose the finalists and all that. And then there were two of us who made the judgment of the, the top ten novels. We ranked them 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. But we didn't even know who each other, we didn't know who the other judge was at the time or what he or she would be saying. So until it was actually awarded, we didn't even know who the top winner was going to be. But that person got feedback from both of the judges. All those people did. So you're right. If you enter more than one contest, you get more than one feedback. And some contests give you feedback from more than one judge. That's incredible. I love that because... I'm a big proponent of coaching and editing and learning how to do better and not just pressing the uh, publish button at create space and, you know, just, uh, you know, it's so that process of learning and growing and, and hearing the hard things from someone telling you, you know, this, this is really weak and you really need to work on this. None of, you know, we have to learn to appreciate the red ink <laughs> and uh and that's something that i i can see uh, is a real value in this whole uh writer's contest process so can you share a few success stories of how winning a writing contest has helped to advance your students at taylor university there are several i'll just give you a couple of examples so that our listeners today can see that they could be them in those situations um for example, you and I just recently taught at the Right to Publish Right to Publish conference in Wheaton, Illinois, and there's a thing called a Cecil Murphy Writing Contest scholarship that's offered there. And if students enter their writings and they are judged uh, the, the really really worthy of being attended here, they get free tuition, they get free food, they get free lodging, they get to come there. And what a joy that is to learn and to get your face in front of all these editors and agents who show up there to meet other writers. So by winning that contest, boy, you get that whole free ride there. And several of my students have been doing that for the last six years. Cecil Murphy is so generous in providing those things. And they get to go, and it's just a great experience for them. So that's a wonderful thing for them to do that. Also, sometimes it's huge. Like one of my students, Chandler Birch, this was really amazing. Last year, Simon & Schuster in New York City announced that they were going to have a contest to see who the top writer in a college novel level was and you could had to be in college you had to be 18 to 23 years old you had to submit a book proposal three finished chapters an outline and a synopsis well they had more than 2,000 people enter and they chose the top 10 book proposals and then they told those 10 college writers now you must complete the entire novel and we'll judge the best one well, it was my student, Chandler Birch, who was graduating that year, who won the contest. So they flew him to New York City for the Comic-Con con- um, big convention. They gave him, his, they signed his contract. They gave him an advance check for $3,000. He was on several talk shows that he was out there. And now his book is coming out at the end of this year, and he's signed to do a sequel. So, And here, you know, think about this. You're only 22 years old, and you're writing for Simon & Schuster. So sometimes the things are just absolutely phenomenal that are out there. But I've had other students, 
um, such as Luke Wildman. He was named the Emerging Novelist of the Year by Lighthouse of the Carolinas Publishing Company this year, and they'll be working with him for six months to move his novel into publication, and here he's just 19 years old. So these things are wonderful, and I've had these track records. Other students of mine have had short stories published. they won certificates and awards. They've had things published as a series of uh, short stories or article series. So, yeah, for the past, uh, we're going in 18 years now, uh, the students have had all these different kinds of awards there, and they look great on their resume. It's put cash in their pocket. It's given them awards and trophies and plaques. And as I said, it's also given them scholarships to writers' conferences. So there's many, many advantages for entering. I love it. I love hearing the real-life stories, and uh, that always uh, makes it, come to life. So, all right, we're going to take another quick break. We will be right back with some final comments from Doc Hensley on how to win a writer's contest. So don't go away. Ever thought about writing a book to tell your story, inspire others, or fulfill a calling in your life? Putting your words on paper is a frightening yet thrilling process that can result in untold lives being touched. The professionals at Redemption Press will walk with you through the process of creating a product you will be proud of. My book was extremely personal, very close to my heart, my baby. From the first call I made to Redemption, Athena and her staff tended to this child like it was their own. My manuscript was very involved, including not only text but also photographs of my artwork. My project manager was so patient and helpful. She was in it for the long haul. Whether it was through phone calls or emails, every staff member at Redemption involved in the publishing process made me feel like I was a person and that my book was their priority. Give Redemption Press a call today at 844-2-REDEEM. Like them on Facebook or go to authorsincharge.com for more information. Well, welcome back to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry, broadcasting on the Voice America Network. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we are continuing on with our show on the power of a blue ribbon, how to win a writer's contest. We've been having a great conversation with Doc Hensley about writer's contests, and we're going to finish up in this segment focusing on how to use these contests to boost your career. So, Doc, where does the funding come from for all of these writing competitions? Well, there are a variety of sources, but let me give you a listing of some of those. For example, there are people who just come in with annual gifts. They're just very generous people. Uh, Every year, Christian authors, including Cecil Murphy and Jerry Jenkins, actually just provide money out of their own pocket to sponsor scholarships for developing writers and students who are going to college and writing programs. They're just very generous. They've been very successful in the field of Christian publishing, and they want to pass that on to another generation. So that's a source right there. But other times it'll happen that someone will want to set up a trust that can provide prizes. And I can give you a specific example. The late Carl Largent was a very successful novelist, and he felt that he owed a lot to Midwest Writers Workshop in Muncie, Indiana, where he got his start as learning. So before he died, he left a trust of $10,000 to the Midwest Writers Workshop, and that earns enough interest in the bank each year to pay for a $250 cash writing award. 
Uh, that's all set up. That's very similar to what is the Amy Foundation. That sponsors an annual writing competition. It's strictly for Christian material. The prizes range from $1,000 up to $10,000, and that, too, is established by a very well-established trust that earns money and has this ability to pay each year. They do that. But on top of that, there are institutions and organizations that will fund writing competitions. For example, in many people's hometowns, the 4-H sponsors writing competitions for very young writers. And there'll be prizes and there'll be things that they can have there. And newspapers often cover who the winners are. That's a lot of fun doing that. And then finally, there are many of the leading magazines. They'll sponsor an annual writing contest wherein the winners get cash prizes and they have their winning manuscripts published. And I mean, we're talking about a lot of magazines. The Saturday Evening Post has a major writing competition every year. And Writer's Digest has a big writing competition that has at least 14 different categories, poetry, short stories, articles. Glimmer Train has a contest every single issue, and it comes out 12 times a year, and they're all different things like uh, biographical stories and fictional stories about um, romance or westerns or gothics. The American Legion magazine has competitions where you can send in from military stories, things like that. So the different magazines hold these competitions, and they underwrite them and provide the prizes. So by the time you think of the people who've donated out of their own pocket, the trust that have been set up, the institutions and organizations that underwrite them, and then the leading magazines, you have a wide range of people who are funding these competitions in order to discover and encourage new writers. That's incredible. I never would have guessed that that's, uh, that that's how they do it. Okay, so obviously if someone wins the Nobel Prize for Literature or the Pulitzer Prize, it will have a monumental impact on that person's career. However, can earning a somewhat less prestigious writing prize also provide a positive boost to a writer's career? I think the answer to that is a very, very definite yes, and I think I can give you some specific examples. Um, let's say that a winner uh, receives the Christie Fiction Award just one year. Well, what can happen then is that that person is identified as a Christie Award-winning author, and the publisher in all subsequent and sequential books that come out can put a sticker on there, Christie Award-winning novelist, and that identifies that person. It's funny you mention those other prizes because to this day, I mean, John Steinbeck's been dead over half a century, but on all of his novels, it'll say The Grapes of Wrath by Nobel Prize winning author John Steinbeck. And whenever Oprah Winfrey would announce who her pick of the day was or pick of the month for the writing, they would stamp that on that book and say, you know, Oprah Winfrey pick, and that would go on. Well, the other thing about it is, too, that let's say that you don't win the Nobel Prize or something, but you do win some kind of a significant prize. Often, if you get any kind of national attention, the local hometown paper will come and do a story on you, and that's good for your platform. Your college alumni magazine always wants to know when any kind of award is given to you so that they can you know, take credit of having trained you, done something like that. So they'll give you prestige. Your church newsletter wants to cover that. Your neighborhood association bulletin. It just garners you a lot of prestige and notoriety that you're this award winner, 
And nowadays, it's very important for people to build what they call a platform, your public identity, your social networking that goes out there. So you win this prize, and let's say 15 or 16 different publications pick it up because you're affiliated with that club or that church or that association or that school. That's going to give you the kind of you know prestige and, and exposure that will really advance your career. And that's the thing that writers need. In addition to that, many times people like your show, you're looking for people who accomplish something. So when radio and TV talk shows want to interview people, they want people with credibility. And if you say, you know, I won this national award, this writing award, they say, oh, good, then we can have you. And that gives a compounding effect to promoting the writer's career by being able to get on those media outlets. So there are a lot of compounding effects that are positive for the writer, even if you don't win a gigantic national award like the Nobel Prize or the Pulitzer Prize. So then maybe with a a smaller award, you would maybe just do more uh, regional or local promotion with that and have it on your website and have it on your Facebook page. I mean, you can, no matter what the award is, I mean, there's lots of mileage you can get out of it on all your social media. I would see that. Um, yeah, that's exactly right, because nowadays that's what happens. It'll trigger something else. And by streaming and by going to your own website, people who might not have read, you know, let's say you're in the Indianapolis Star featured there or the Denver Post, and they might not read that paper, but by seeing your website, they can then see that and they can go directly to the paper and download it through an archive where they can read it on your website and realize, wow, so you're getting national visibility even when you're getting local coverage. Exactly. That's the power of the Internet, huh? Mm -hmm. My goodness. All right. Well, in case you've just joined us, you're listening to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we are broadcasting on the Voice America Network. I am uh, talking today to Doc Hensley about the power of a blue ribbon and why you should enter a writer's contest. And I am just, I am jazzed about this. I had no idea... There was such potential, because I'm like a marketing person. I'm always all about helping people figure out ways to market. And this is a great way to do that. I love it. So, okay, speaking as a judge, take the next, gosh, we've, we've still got about eight minutes to go. So let's talk about some insider tips on what factors increase the chances of a manuscript getting chosen as a contest winner i'm really glad that you want to talk about that because speaking as a judge many times i am really disappointed that people give themselves a tremendous disadvantage by not understanding how it can be working. But the other people who have been seasoned contest competitors, they really know it's done. So let me start with some specific things. First of all, by all means, follow the guidelines precisely, precisely. For example, some competitions, they want the submission by email and email only, whereas others, they want the hard copy because they're going to set up a blind judge situation and they're going to take off the cover page. You've got to submit it the way they tell you to submit it. Otherwise, you're out of the running right off the bat. 
sometimes they only want one entry per person. You can only enter one short story in this contest every year. Whereas others will say, no, you can send in two, three, four, multiple submissions, anything you want. But you can't violate that rule because if they say only one per person and you send in two or three, then they violate all those. They just invalidate them. They say, no, I'm sorry, none of these will go, and you've just lost your situation. So you've got to follow that. Some of them are only specific to a genre. They don't want anything except science fiction, or they don't want anything except romance stories. And if you don't match that, then you're competing in an area where they're not even going to pay attention to it, and you wasted your time, your effort, and your energy on that, and they're going to have to send it back. This has nothing to do with what we're doing here, and they'll see that. There are even regional-specific things. People say, we want stories that are set in the Deep South, or we want stories that are set in the Old West, or we want stories set in New England, and you've got to match them for that. Very, very specific. Other times people say, we want you know a comedy, and you send in something that's kind of oh, not you know not at all comedic at all, and you think, well, you know, it might be just kind of sarcasm or satire, and they're looking at outright comedy. So if you're not giving them what they want, it's going to come back. And um, some of them tell you how to do it. They'll say, make sure you put a cover page with your name on it. Others want your full name and address, you know, on the inside page. The point is, whatever the guidelines stress, you have to follow them exactly or your submission will be disqualified and won't be read. And a lot of people are just so disappointed in that. I've never even got to first base. No, because you didn't follow the rules and do that. The second thing is proofread carefully. Become a nutcase about that. There is nothing more disappointing to me as a judge than to read a really excellent story, but then find that it has several spelling errors or comma splices or incorrect abbreviations in it, and it shows a real lack of professionalism on the part of the contestant, and I think it shows a disrespect for the contest, too. Here you've got this good idea, and you just kind of banged out the manuscript and sent it off and said, oh, you know, you can take it as it is. No, I'm judging professionalism. I'm looking at the total package, the content, the delivery, the mechanics, the organization, the thought behind it all, the impact of the readership, everything. And so you can't be slipshod with this submission. You're going to be competing with people who are taking this very, very seriously, and you have to do too. Another thing is don't try any gimmicks. We just hate that, like typing in five different type fonts or using various colors of ink for your typed words. Mm-hmm. Or I've even had people send in crazy things like sending laced edge paper, if you can believe it. Or that. <laughs> None of that stuff impresses judges. None of that impresses mm-hmm. at all. No. They want you to follow the standard manuscript format. There's no trick to that. And here's another thing, too. Some people will send in the same manuscript that they sent in the year before, and they haven't given it any significant editing or revising. I think they're thinking, well, there'll be a different judge, and they'll, they'll like the manuscript the way it is. But the fact of the matter is, if a judge has rejected that or turned it down, particularly with commentary that, you know, this needs to be worked on, and then you send the identical manuscript in the next year, you're not doing yourself a favor, because whoever the judge is, whether it's the same judge or a different one, is going to look at it and see the same weaknesses. So that's another way to So follow guidelines precisely. Proofread carefully. Don't try any gimmicks or anything. And always submit updated, revised, really polished manuscripts. Those things are very, very important to those of us who do regular judging. Well, you know, the one thing that you mentioned, which I just find uh, amazing that um, people don't really uh, be, be more careful, is just the whole proof, you know, when they send something in that has typos in it. Uh, 
that is an automatic the game changer deal killer it's just you've just wasted your time and if you don't if you won't take the extra time to read over or have someone else do it for you uh i can't tell you how often i mean i've got i've gotten in resumes for an administrative assistant where there's typos in the resume or someone will send me a manuscript and in their cover letter uh they spell my name wrong or they uh, spell Redemption Press's name wrong, or they spell the uh, their actual. If I remember right, at the conference there was an author who spent spelled her own name wrong, right? Yes, there was a situation we all got to chuckle out of that. You could be a little too nervous sometimes like that and follow along. But you're right about this idea of polish and professionalism. It's like when you go into interview for a job. If you show up and you're in, you know, jeans with a, the knees popped out and you haven't had a shave or a haircut in a long time like that, and you say, yeah, I'd like to sell uh, dress clothes at your shop. I'll clean up later. They're not going to hire you. First impressions are very important. And judges feel the same way. Are you serious about your writing? And to what extent can I judge you? You as somebody who is that so it has to be polished there's no doubt about it that's such a huge thing for me I'm always uh, encouraging authors to uh, you know you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression and in uh, if you've got judges I mean I just think about uh, relationships and judges and presenting yourself and you know if you want people to take you serious you have to really um, it's, I mean, it, I have this uh, uh, friend who was an editor once who told me, and it was kind of a joke, but I, I continue to uh, tell it to this day. She says, you know, most people like to hide their mistakes. We publish ours. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the written word, it's on paper. It's not going to go away. And even on the Internet these days, those the things that you put on there don't go away. So, gosh, make sure you read it out loud or read it backwards or have somebody else look at it because boy it, it it's so easy to miss things you know your brain knows what you meant to type there and that's what you see and uh boy whether it's turning in something to a judge or or having your information out there on the internet or or your final book project boy that is a huge one, and I know you being a writing teacher and a professor at Taylor University, University, that's that's a biggie for you too. I've heard you speak about it, and it's um, you just can't can't get enough proofreaders. That's for sure. Well, well that's true, and and I think that what's really amazing is that the potential for contests to help people so much is so positive that you want to make every effort you can to use this to your advantage. Absolutely. Well, what an amazing show it's been, Doc. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if our listeners want to connect with you, where do they find you online? They can go to Doc Hensley. D-O-C-H-E-N-S-L-E-Y dot com. And that's where my web pages are, and I'll respond to them there. Wonderful. Thanks again, and have a great rest of your day. All right, we are going to wrap up this Publishing Today show with our Ask Athena segment where I answer the questions you've been asking about. If you have a question you'd like me to address on the air, send it by email to question at askathena.com. And the most recent one I got in was, I'm trying to cut corners on producing my book. Can I just format the text in Word and use that? Well, uh, you can. Uh, the question is, should you? Uh, no, you shouldn't. 
And here's why. Word is not a typesetting, formatting software. It is a word processing software. Uh, there's huge limitations to what you can do with Word. And doing the formatting that's required for a book to look professional and not look self-published, you need a lot more than you can do in Word. And let me also say uh, an experience that I had with an author who wanted to try and do it in Word, couldn't just had tr- trouble with it, couldn't do it. Uh, so he just found somebody in his hometown that said they were a desktop publisher and said they were a typesetter. This pastor paid $4,000 for this guy to format his book. And it turned out to be a complete waste of money uh, because that person did not know what they were doing. They created individual text blocks on each page, and this was a 400-page book. So it did not auto-flow. If we made a change on Chapter 3 and added a paragraph, it would not auto-flow and repaginate. So this poor guy had to pay all over again to have it done right. So number one, no, don't do it in Word. Number two, be very careful when you hire somebody to do that for you because unfortunately there's a lot of people out there that have hung their shingle out and say that they know what they're doing and they don't. So uh, it is now time to wrap up this show of publishing today. It has been great having Doc back on the show and we're already planning another show in the near future on the power of collaboration. Secrets for a Successful Co-Authorship, where we'll cover ghostwriting, as told to, and co-writing. So next week is the 4th of July, so we'll be back with a new show on July 11th. This is Athena Dean Holtz for Publishing Today Radio, brought to you by Redemption Press. Have a great week until we're back with you again next Saturday, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Network. Thank you for tuning in to Publishing Today Radio. Be sure to join your host, Athena Dean Holtz, again next Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.